I don't have a voice like Jen, sorry. <laughs> Amen. My name is Leanne, and this is my story. My mom's sister and I were baptized together at the ages of 27, 5, and 1. Although our family has never had a church home, we sporadically attended different churches over the years. At the age of 24, I converted to a church in order to be married in that church to my then-fiancé. That marriage never happened, though I continued attending the church. A couple years later, my very faithful friend, God rest his soul, started challenging me on my faith, religion, and beliefs. My mind and heart were open to listen, learn, and discover once again. A couple more years later, my family started church shopping, now that we all lived in the same city again. At some point, I became very critical on little things I disliked in each church that we tried and started to lose sight of the real meaning, the presence of God. I was taking things into considerations like the pews, or lack thereof, no center aisle, let's face it, how could I envision my wedding day? How communion was given, the theatrics of the light and the music. It was very easy to get caught up in casting judgment in these churches, like I was purchasing a home or a car. I was using my eyes and not my heart. Mom and I decided to continue visiting Lakeland. Each Sunday it was a relief to start embracing a service in a community that we enjoyed and started to feel connected. The church encouraged me to get involved outside of Sunday service. I became a greeter, joined a small group, attended milestone courses and other classes, and got involved in the One Life campaign. Don't worry, I didn't do this all at once. I recently attended a newcomer's brunch just for the food. I needed breakfast, and it was fun. I got to tell them a little bit about me, but I also got to meet some new attenders. I learned that you can just show up on Sunday alone, but it could take years to build a, con a community, friendships, and to really feel a part of something bigger. I'm shaky, y'all. By getting involved outside of Sunday morning, it could happen a lot quicker. I don't remember hearing that part when I attended my first newcomer's brunch as a newcomer. This brought a smile to my face because as I looked around, not only did I get involved in the church, but the church got involved in my life. And I was smiling because four years later, I look around and this place is my home. I've built many friendships whom I call family. I've recruited Lakelanders to play on my rec volleyball team. And by referral, another member now works with my company. My favorite friends take me on the lake during the summer. Cornhole for life. All joking aside, Lakeland has become a huge part of my life. Cheers to the family you're born into and into the family you make along the way. My name is Leanne, and this is my story. What a great story. What a great story about you all. That's how it should work. Um... You know, I, I think for every person like Leanne, who is brave and gets out there and gets involved and is, uh, you know, not afraid to identify as a follower of Jesus and a Christian, I think for every person like her these days, there's a handful of others who aren't so sure, aren't so sure they want to identify as part of a church, as being a follower of Jesus. I'm not so sure they want to be wrapped up in all of this with us. For one, there's so many arguments going on in the church. So many arguments about politics and politicians. Um, then there's all the arguments about the pandemic. You know, the, the national health crisis turned into a culture war. And then don't forget all the sexual abuse scandals of people in my profession, pastors and, and priests, and especially in the last year, much less the last decade. It just seems to be becoming more common and ratcheting up more. 
And then, of course, thousands of years worth of arguments about Christian sexuality and the world's view of sexuality and gender. And for a lot of folks, a lot of everyday folks, they just feel embarrassed, if not afraid, uh, to be involved in all of that for fear, I think, that they'll be labeled, that some sort of label will be slapped on them, that because you go to church, because you get involved... um, that you must be this kind of person and that kind of person and you must think this and you must, must think that. The fear of being labeled because of being associated with Jesus Christ. This is not new. This is not new. Um, I don't know exactly when it started, but I know it was started as early as uh, this story that we've been studying from the Gospel of John chapter 9. Story starts out, Jesus is walking down the road and there's a beggar and he's blind. In fact, he's been blind since birth. And his disciples ask this horrible question. They say, this guy who's blind here, is it because of his sin, like before he was even born, or his parents' sin? And Jesus says, no, no, it's nothing like that. God's not like that. It is so that the glory of God can be shown in his life. And then Jesus heals him. He makes a, he spits in a, 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 handful of dirt and makes a ball of mud and then he puts it on the guy's eyes and he says go wash your face in the in the pool and and you'll be able to see so he does and he can see this creates a huge stir Um, his friends first of all in the neighborhood decide that can't be the same guy that must be like a body double someone who looks like him uh, they take him to the Pharisees who were real popular teachers of the day. And all they can do is focus on, wait a minute, what'd he do? He made mud? Wasn't that on Saturday afternoon? That's the Jewish Sabbath. So he must be evil because nobody would work on the Sabbath day, evidently making a ball of mud to cure someone of blindness to them counted as work. They're totally hung up on that. His own parents won't get involved because they're scared of getting kicked out of the synagogue. They don't want to be kicked out of community life. So then the the Pharisees put this guy on trial. This is what he gets to do on his first day of sight. No celebration. Just fights. And he fears maybe labels. So this is where we pick up in the trial. Verse 24 So for the second time, they called in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this. Because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied. But I know this. I was blind and now I can see. Here's what they know. This guy, Jesus, he's not one of us. He's not part of our group. He didn't train up with us. So he can't be the savior because surely God would pick one of us. We're so completely awesome. That's what they know. But the blind man, he doesn't know about all these arguments and things going on. All he knows is in the morning he was blind and by the afternoon he could see. And he's just looking to make sense of that truth of what God has done. And their version of events doesn't seem to take into account all the details of what has happened here. So he says, I don't know about all that. I just know I was blinded. Now I could see. Verse 26. But what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once. Didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? 
Oh, yeah, that goes over really well. (laughs) Verse 28, they cursed him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. Moses was like the greatest leader of the Jews in the Old Testament. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. So now we're rolling back from the mud ball back to this where we don't know where he came from. He's not one of us. That means he can't be the Savior because the Savior would be, you know, one of us. Then the man, he's trying to figure it out. He says, now that's very strange. The man replied, he healed my eyes and yet you don't know where he came from. We know that God doesn't Listen to sinners, but he's ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one's been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. And just like that, he backs into the truth. He takes what he does know, that God has done something in his life. And he did it through Jesus, and he did it with a ball of mud on the Sabbath. Okay. But he backs into the truth. The Pharisees become more blind the more the trial goes on. Blind by choice. Well, this guy now can see clearly not only physically, but spiritually. The problem is that they have a verdict, and they're looking for some evidence to back it up. But even if they don't find that evidence, they're still going to keep their verdict because they know. They already know what they think about Jesus. And it turns out they already know what they think about this guy who was born blind. Verse 34. You were born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. Now we're rolling all the way back to that horrible reason that this miracle had to happen in the first place. People looking at a blind guy saying, well, is it because of his sin before he was even born? Or is it because of his parents' sin? And Jesus does the whole miracle to say, God's not like that. This is what God does. And these guys roll right back to that. Well, you were born a sinner. And they throw him out of the synagogue. Now remember, that's worse than just being thrown out of church because synagogue was the center of, of Jewish life. So now he's out. This is his first day as a seeing person and already he's been labeled as somebody who won't be welcome to shop in their shops. If now that he's sighted, he wants to open a business, no one will go there. If now that he can see the young ladies of his village, if one catches his eye, no one will offer her to be his wife. He's out. What should have been on trial here in this story is their view of the Sabbath day. The God's that worked up about making a mud ball on Sabbath day. Especially if it's going to heal someone of blindness. That's what should have been on trial. What should have been on trial was their view of sin. That, that God causes people to be born with disabilities because of something they have done or will do. Or something their parents did, and so their punishment is to have a child with a disability. That, that belief should have been on trial. What should have been on trial here is their view of the Savior of the world, that he has to come from their group, and that he has to do only the types of things they would do and be someone that they would have known ahead of time. 
Their, their understanding of who Jesus is. That's, that's what all should have been on trial here on this day. But this blind guy who can now see, he doesn't have the cultural power to make that trial happen. So he's out. He's labeled a sinner and he's out. Maybe in our time, some other things ought to be on trial other than belief in Jesus and participation in the life of church. Maybe the morality of politicians ought to be on trial and the morality of their platforms and the beliefs that they hold. Maybe churches that care more about fame and growing than they care about protecting women and children from predators and predatory leaders ought to be on trial. Maybe that's what ought to be on trial. Maybe folks who made all these false predictions about the pandemic, they're all on record a year ago, this will happen, this won't happen. Maybe we should pull all that out and put that on trial again. Maybe America doesn't know as much about sexuality and gender as we think. Maybe this culture isn't the right one to teach the world how it is since we're the biggest uh, creators and exporters of pornography, since we're among the largest importers of child sex slaves, since we have rampant divorce and abortion, maybe we don't really understand enough about sexuality to be dictating to the world how it should be done. But we're just a church on Colburn Road in Jackson County, and we don't have the cultural power to make any of those trials happen. So we're just supposed to be labeled and embarrassed to be here. We're just supposed to give up and go home and find something else to do. But I can't do that because I don't know about all those labels, but I know that I was once blind and now I see. I know that God was there. And I know that a lot of ways I'm still blind. I can sense there's a lot of things about being a dad and being a husband and being a pastor and being a friend that are still really foggy to me. But I can feel Jesus making a mud ball and putting it on my eyes. Like, look, you're going to go wash and, and you're going to see these things better. And I can sense that I need that and that God is doing that. And I have seen him do a great work in a lot of people around me's lives. A lot of you are those people. I've seen miracles. I've just seen too much to just get embarrassed of what someone else will think about me and, and walk away from it all. I imagine some of you feel the same. N.T. Wright's a New Testament scholar. He also studied John chapter 9, and he wrote this beautiful paragraph I wanted to share with you about it. He said, Being Christian is often confusing. People try to interpret your experience for you, to put you into this category or that category, label you. Often this is so they needn't take you seriously. What you must do is stick to what you know. I used to be blind, and now I see. It may be costly, but paying that cost is better than the still more costly route of denying what, in Jesus, God has truly done for you. All we have to do 
Let's stick to what we do now. I was blind, and now I see. It was Jesus who brought that sight. God was there and worked through him. He comes from God. All the rest, I'll leave all of you all to fight about it, but I know this. And that's all you have to do. This isn't the end of the story, you know. What happens when they slap a label on you and cast you out? What happens after that? That comes in the last few verses of John chapter 9, which you'll have to come back next week for us to learn about altogether. You liked that even less than first service. (laughs) Amen.